Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, knowing that you are good and kind, that you offer us living water to fill our thirst and our hunger. We thank you, God, that you are so gracious and kind to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would refresh our souls this morning. I pray that you would, through your Spirit, cause us to come to you in all different ways, Lord. May you be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. If we hear the word of the Lord and seek the Lord of the word, we will find satisfaction for our souls. There once was a king who prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the day for the feast arrived, he instructed his servants to notify all the invited guests and tell them, I have prepared my banquet, my oxen and my fatted calves have all been slaughtered. Come, for everything is now ready for you. But one by one, they all made excuses as to why they couldn't make it. One said, I can't come, I, I just bought some property and I'm obligated to look over it. Another said, please accept my regrets for I just purchased five team of oxen and I need to make sure that they can pull the plow. Another one said, I can't come because I just got married. So the servants reported back to the host and told him of all their excuses. The king became angry and said to his servants, go out, go out at once throughout the city and invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting, and the lonely, and invite them to my banquet. When the servants returned to his master, they said, Sir, we've done as you've asked, but there's still room for more. So the king said, Go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, so the hall was filled with guests who responded to the invitation to come. We are in Isaiah 55 this morning, which is an invitation from the eternal king to join him at his banqueting table. This invitation is to everyone who is spiritually thirsty. It's an offer to all people, irrespective of ethnicity, gender, class, social status, age, or nationality. This is an invitation to find true satisfaction for our souls and to invite others to do so as well. Is your soul thirsty this morning? Do you hunger for the satisfaction of your soul? Well, then this passage and this invitation is for you and is to you. As I said, we're in Isaiah 55. This will be our final message in Isaiah. Uh, next week we'll be beginning in the Gospel of John and spend the rest of the year there. Uh, hopefully you got the bookmark um, that will tell you where we will be going. Um, the invitation here in chapter 55 is really the consummation of the previous 14 chapters. 
as we've navigated through this section, we've seen the compassion of the Lord permeating these chapters. Upon entering chapter 40, we saw this radical shift in tone from one of judgment to that of compassion and correction. Those earlier chapters had had a strong focus on Israel's sin and their consequent captivity, which has now shifted to the Lord's covenantal faithfulness and to his deliverance of his people from their captivity. That is, this newer section began to speak of how the arm of the Lord would work to rescue his people from the consequences of their sin. Now, part of what we've learned is that this historical setting of Israel's national sin, their exile in Babylon and need for deliverance, was representative of their spiritual sin, of their separation from God and their need of restoration to Him on an individual level. Yes, because of their rebellion against the Lord, they would be physically captive to and in a foreign nation. But part of Israel's problem was that they were only thinking at that level, at that national level. That is, they wanted their physical freedom. They wanted deliverance from their captors so that they could experience personal peace and prosperity. I get it. Their primary problem, though, was not their national captivity, but their ongoing sin and rebellion against God. In other words, it was their captivity to sin that was the real problem. And so what would merely being delivered from their physical captors actually accomplish in relation to this? Nothing. Nothing. It was their sin that must be dealt with. Otherwise, they would continue to be spiritually captive. They needed far more than to be restored to their homeland. They needed to be restored to God. And that is what these chapters, chapters 40 up until now, have largely been about. How the Lord, in His abundant compassion for them, planned to deliver them from their real captivity. To pardon them from their rebellion against Him. And so that's how the section began. If we think back to Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. The Lord reveals throughout these chapters how he is going to do this through his servant. Through his servant. Permeating these passages and pages has been a description of the person and work of the servant particularly in four songs in chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and 53. And through these passages, we have discovered how the Lord is going to establish an eternal covenant of peace. Not only with many in Israel, but with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. What we've seen in these pages is the Old Testament anticipation of the new covenant, of the gospel that was to come. And just as the gospel requires an individual response 
So these truths of God in Isaiah also require a response from his readers. Mental assent was not enough. And so an invitation was given to believe these words of the Lord and to trust in the Lord who inspired these words. This is the invitation. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall, shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now I love how this invitation opened. Come, everyone who thirsts, come, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What a beautiful call. Anyone who is thirsty, come, come, come and drink, come to the waters where there is a limitless supply. And those of you who are hungry, though you have no money to buy, come, buy and eat. Eat to your heart's content for an unlimited smorgasbord of the finest fare that costs nothing more than to come and eat. Come, eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, of course, this is allegorical. It isn't a call for people to actually consume tangible food, though we often do that at this church. 
It isn't for them to satiate their physical sustenance for natural life, but this is a metaphor for spiritual hunger and thirst, for spiritual food and drink, for spiritual sustenance that gives eternal life. We can clearly observe this because of the metaphor that Isaiah uses, come to me that your soul may live. What Isaiah is doing is capitalizing on the sensation of natural hunger pangs, which everyone has felt, in order to get them to think about their spiritual need and hunger of their souls. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and and your labor for that which does not satisfy, he asks. Why are you spending your time and your money and your energy on things that cannot satisfy your true need? The satisfaction of your soul. It's reminiscent of Jesus' words more than 700 years later. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now the satisfaction that Isaiah depicts is not only that your soul may live, but also that you will have an everlasting covenant of God's steadfast, sure love, like David did. That the Lord will have compassion on you and abundantly pardon you. That you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. (sighs) Do you hear those benefits for your soul? Your soul shall live. You will have God's steadfast, sure love forever. You will experience His ongoing compassion. You will find pardon for your sins. No more guilt. No more shame. No more condemnation for what you have done or even for what you will do. You have been pardoned. And then you will go forth in joy. Experiencing true joy and peace. Satisfaction for your soul. (laughs) And get this. Here's what you need to do. Come! What? Come! what? No! Come! Come on! If you thirst for satisfaction, just come. It's free for the taking. He who has no money, come buy and eat. That is, you have nothing to be able to purchase the satisfaction. And if you thought you did, then you would be constantly in a state of dissatisfaction. For you would be continually working to earn ages, wages in order to get this food and go over and go over and over again. Oh, I gotta earn, I gotta earn, I gotta earn. No. This feast costs nothing other than to come and to freely. 
Enjoy. The king has invited you to his banquet to freely partake of his fare and to try and pay or repay him for it. (laughs) It'd be offensive. Can you imagine as you enter this grand gala hall with the choicest of foods and you seek out the king and as he reaches out his hand to, to greet you, you press this little coin into his hand. And you say, well, I just wanted to help pay for this meal. I really didn't want to have to rely completely on your generosity. How insulting. This is food and drink without money and without price. It's offered freely. All one need do is accept the invitation come. So what does it mean to come? How does one eat of this food and delight in its richness? How do we come to the Lord to find the satisfaction for our souls? Well, there are two predominant ways commended in this passage. The first is this, we come by hearing the word of the Lord. It says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. This is the first way we come to the Lord and satiate our souls by hearing the word of the Lord. Now it goes without saying, but I will say it anyway, that this doesn't just mean to hear like when you listen to a radio. It's about much more than the physiological act of audibly receiving sound waves. I listened to my Bible on Audible while I was taking a nap the other day. Hey, I accomplished the purpose. I can go out and do what I really want to do now. That is definitively not the concept of hearing that Isaiah is intending here. I want you to notice how it says, listen diligently. It's actually one word repeated twice in Hebrew, Shema. Sound familiar? Heard about Shema before. He says, Shema, Shema. Remember, repetition means emphasis. He then repeats it again as if two Shemas was not enough. Shema, that your soul may live. That is, pay attention. Listen, really take in what's being said. Seek to understand it, believe it, and walk according to it. To hear, to shema, is an effectual action. A response of the mind and heart in receiving, believing, heeding, and or obeying the message that one audibly hears or sees. It's just like when the Lord spoke to Abraham. Abraham believed God. He trusted the word of the Lord. He took God at his word, didn't he? That is what it means to hear the word of the Lord. 
Now, the message, the content of this word that needs to be listened to, that needs to be understood, that needs to be believed and heeded and trusted in is that message that I opened with. That message that Isaiah has been preaching to the people, especially in the last 14 chapters. It's the message that the Lord is going to send a servant who will bring forth justice to the nations and establish justice in the earth, who will be given as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, who will open eyes that are blind, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon of sin, bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth, who will vindicate the glory of the Lord, who will sprinkle many nations, bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, be pierced for our transgressions and bruised and crushed for our iniquities. He will be punished And through that, we can have peace. He will heal us through His wounds. He will make a guilt offering for us. And He will make the many to be counted righteous. And then He will rise and be exalted, making a people for God, bearing the sin of many and making intercession for them. This is the word of the Lord that needs to be trusted, believed, heard. And if you do, says the Lord, this is the benefit that you will receive, that I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now this is a reference to the covenant that the Lord had made with David in 2 Samuel, promising, among other things, to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This covenant was an expression of the Lord's steadfast, sure love for David. As the psalmist reiterates, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So the key term here is forever. Or as Isaiah says, everlasting. This is an everlasting covenant. It is an oath taken by God that he will not break. He will never renege on his promise to David. It will last forever and ever. And it is rooted in the Lord's steadfast, sure love for David. Hmm. As I said, his love. What Isaiah is saying here to his readers is that as the Lord loved David, so he will love you. As he fulfilled and will fulfill his promises to David, so he will fulfill his promises to you. And as the one who God would send his servant would sit on David's throne and would not only sit on his throne, but would save David himself and secure an everlasting kingdom for David. 
Guess what? The same is true for you. That servant will come and save you and secure an everlasting kingdom for you, just like David. If you, like David, believe his word, that he will keep his promise and send his servant. You see, this is not a message about an earthly national kingdom that will someday pass away. It is a message about an eternal kingdom that cannot pass away and is yours through the pardoning of your sin. This is about your everlasting good, which it has always been about. The very reason Israel is going into captivity, get this, the very reason Israel is going into captivity and that the terrestrial city and kingdom of David will lay in ruin, but what about, is to get them to realize how captive they are spiritually. And so to despair of trusting in the things of this world so that they trust in the Lord. That is to say, even their captivity is a compassionate act of God for their ultimate good. Even their captivity is a compassionate act of God for their ultimate good. You can almost hear them plaintively say, that's not my idea of compassion to have the temple of God in the city of David laid waste? Are you kidding me? To see the people of God exiled into foreign lands? That's not compassionate. That's not my idea of faithfulness either, by the way, God. To have your servant rejected and crushed and crucified? That's the very opposite of what I think compassion is and faithfulness is. To which the Lord answers, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, the Lord says, you might think that because you are experiencing physical captivity that I'm not keeping my everlasting covenant with David or with you. But my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Your continual focus on the natural and tangible and earthly matters shows that you do not get it. My ways are so much higher than your ways. I mean this for your everlasting good, for your eternal good, for an eternal covenant of peace, not for your temporal fleeting comfort. I know you want it. I've got something far better. Don't look 
to the earthly city, but look to the eternal one. How much do you and I need to hear this message? We tend to do the same thing as those within Israel, focusing so much on the things of this world, on our tangible surroundings and desires. And when those desires aren't met, when we undergo life's adversities, we somehow think that God is unfaithful, that he's not being compassionate. Why would you allow this to happen to me, God? But his faithfulness is actually in the adversity. His faithfulness is in the adversity. He is being faithful to us by depriving us of those things that we think we so desperately need so that we might understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The adversity is so that we might really comprehend that our sufficiency is not in the things of this world, but in God alone. Sometimes the deprivation of the things we most want is the very compassion of God. Isaiah then talks about the certainty of God's word, of these truths and of these promises. Why should you believe them? Because God's word will accomplish all that he set out for it to do. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen to those last lines again. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, God's eternal covenant that he promised to David will come to pass. No ifs, ands, or buts, except there might be some spanked ones along the way. God's promises to save his covenant people will take place. The coming of the servant to bring all of these things to pass, it's going to happen. When God spoke the plan, whatever was necessary for that plan to occur was set in action. Now, I would give you an illustration, but Isaiah already did, didn't he? As the rain and the snow come down and water the earth, inevitably making it sprout and providing nourishment to us, so God's word, when we receive it like the land receives the rain, will sprout forth in our souls and nourish us everlastingly. Which leads us to our second point. 
we come by seeking the Lord of the Word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. You see, hearing the word of the Lord is not an end in itself. Rather, it is intended to lead us to the Lord of the word. The word of God is written so that we will seek the God of the word. That is what the words of God are all about. The redeeming of a people for himself. The restoration of fellowship between God and man. They are intended, these words are intended to lead people to God. Through what the Word of God says, we are to seek after Him, to worship Him, to believe in Him, to hope in Him, to rest in Him. These words direct us to come to Him. For it is the Lord alone who is the water that satisfies our soul. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary beholding Your power and Your glory because Your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Our soul thirsts for God Himself. He is the only water that satisfies. As a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The rich food in which we are to delight ourselves, is in Him. He is that food. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We are to pursue nearness with God, to seek His face, to find our joy in, in, in His presence. The true desire of your soul is God Himself. Therefore we ought to desire God. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? 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 What do you want to do that? To behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord. The all-satisfying beauty of the Lord. His splendor and majesty. And of course, the way that we are to go about this is provided in the Word of God. Oh, huh. We know how to seek after the God of the Word by hearing the Word of God. <laughs> that was pretty cool, huh? Full circle. It's complete right there. And as we've already seen, the primary way of doing this was to believe, to trust 
in the Lord by trusting in his promise, the coming of his servant. In Isaiah's day, it was a looking forward to the servant who would come, believing what God had promised about the one who was to come and rescue them from their sin. That's the message. That's what you need to believe. And the word that God spoke to and through David, to and through Isaiah. Well, the angel said to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no As Paul would later say, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. This Jesus cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And through Jesus, and though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, Whoa! This is so cool! He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now get this. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Hmm. And though not a single person could convict Jesus of sin, He was delivered over to the Gentiles and was mocked, shamefully treated, and was crucified. This, all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. God has put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And when they carried out all that was written of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared. But God raised him from the dead. Did I really read that so slowly? But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witness to his people. And we bring you the good news that that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. 
And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. What is the way that he has spoken? I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Mic drop. There it is. <laughs> Through Jesus, God has given those who come to him the holy and sure blessings of David. This is why Jesus could say to those religious teachers, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The life isn't in the words. The life is in Christ. The words point to Christ. Notice that Jesus is talking about them coming to him for life. For in Christ is life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only in Christ is life, but in Christ is rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Did you notice those first words? Come to me. In Christ Jesus is the satisfaction of our spiritual hunger. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever, oh wait, there it is again, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It was Jesus who stood and shouted to the crowds on the last day of the festival, this invitation. Anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me, come and drink. He's quoting this invitation from Isaiah 55. And he is saying that the way we come to the Lord and find satisfaction for our souls is by coming to Jesus. Because he is the Lord of Isaiah. He is the one who satisfies our spiritual thirst. Through faith in him, through believing in him, through trusting in Christ. If you come to him, you can have life for your soul. If you come to Him, He will satisfy your spiritual thirst and hunger. If you come to Him, you will delight yourselves in spiritual food. This is the invitation. It's the invitation of the King from our opening illustration. He sent His servants out into all the world to invite everyone to come to Him irrespective of person, of their past, of their profession, of their people, is an invitation to all 
who are thirsty. An invitation to all who are hungry. An invitation to satiate your souls on him in the person of Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of people who are listening to this message this morning. Those who can genuinely say that they are trusting Jesus Christ right now and those who cannot. Which one are you? I'm not asking if there was some decision that you made in the distant or not so distant past. I'm not asking whether you've been baptized or if you've walked an aisle. I'm not asking whether or not you were raised in a Christian home or whether or not you were were or are a regular church attender. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church or if you even work in Christian ministry. Those things are irrelevant here. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ right now? Are you trusting in Him to save you from your sins? Are you trusting in Him as your God? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ to satisfy your soul? If you can answer that question in the affirmative, woohoo! I'll return to you in a moment with some application. But I do want to address those of you in this room who cannot genuinely say that you are trusting in Jesus Christ right now. Is your soul thirsty? Is your soul thirsty? Are you seeking a satisfaction that you just can't seem to fill no matter how hard you try with the things of this world? This invitation is to you. The invitation is from the King, eternal, immortal, to come to the waters to fill your thirst. You don't need money. You don't need any kind of spiritual equity. You only need to come with need. Needing to be filled. Needing to be satisfied. Jesus bids you to come to Him. To come to the living water for the spiritual water that will quench that seemingly unquenchable spiritual thirst that you have is in Jesus. Trust in him and you will, he will fill you with living water. If you desire to come to Jesus Christ and to trust in him, I simply encourage you to do so. I encourage you to pray to him right now To say, Jesus, I come to you. I trust in you. Please fill me. And I urge you to talk to someone after the service ends. Tell them that you are now trusting in Jesus and that you need guidance for continued trust in him. Now, others of you may not be ready to trust in Christ. You have questions about Jesus and the Christian life that you need to have answered before you come. If this is you, I urge you to talk to someone after service ends. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Everyone in this room wants to talk to you about Jesus 
who is a believer. And to the rest of you, I have two points of application for you. Number one, continue to seek God in Christ and to hear his word. Continue to seek God in Christ and to hear his word. Continue coming. Continue seeking. Continue pursuing. Continue listening. Continue hearing. Do not rest on your laurels. Do not think that you can just coast along without seeking Christ. We need to diligently listen to his word and diligently seek him. Press into God through prayer, the word, and fellowship. Be like David who thirsted for God as a deer thirsts for water in a dry and weary land. Number two, share God in Christ and his word. Share God in Christ and his word. That is, share this invitation to come. You only need to remember one word. Come! Well, three. Come to Jesus! Come! In the opening story, we saw the king invite people through his servants. There were those who were invited and those who did the inviting. This has become one of your primary tasks as a servant of the king. To go into the streets and to invite people just like the servants did, just like Isaiah did. Come, there's a huge banquet, and it's free. Come. If the invitation had never been shared with you, how would you have come? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are your feet? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Yesterday morning, I was spending time with Charles Spurgeon. I know. And he said this, Had the Lord so willed it, he might have changed us from imperfection to perfection and have taken us to heaven at once. Why then are we still here? Why is the army of the living God still on the battlefield when one charge might give them the victory? Why are his children still wandering hither and thither through a maze when a solitary word from his lips would bring them into the center of their hopes in heaven. Why? The answer is, they are here that they may live unto the Lord and may bring others to know his love. We remain on earth as sowers to to scatter good seed, as plowmen to break up the fallow ground, as heralds publishing salvation. We are here as the salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily lives. We are here as workers for him, as workers together with him. 
Isaiah's message should be our message. All who are thirsty, come. Proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ and then bid them come. As the New Testament comes to a close, that's it, that's all he's going to write. We hear this invitation one last time. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let this be what we believe. Let this be what we do. Let this be what we proclaim. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are our living water. That I pray for each and every person here that we would drink deeply of your water. That you would reveal yourself through your word so that we worship you. That we fulfill our desires on you that we satiate our souls on you, our God and King, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that you would come to us. I pray that you would cause us to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.